For those who have been following along with us the past few weeks, you know that we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, it's that there is a sense of narrative movement. There's energy. Things happen quickly. It's almost like you can't even catch your breath before the next thing unfolds. So forgive me if when looking at today's passage, I found it boring by Mark's standard. Now, I don't mean sacrilege. I know the summary of the law is super important. But if you look at this lesson, there's actually not a lot happening. There's not much conflict. And as we know, that's what often keeps a story moving. And yet, this passage and the passage from Deuteronomy serve as the bedrock for our faith. It is on these verses that we build our house. And so sometimes it's good to go back to basics, go back to fundamentals, and be reminded, what is the summary of the law? Which commandment is the first? And today we find it. So let's look at this passage from Mark, and let's see how it actually functions in the whole of Mark. So as you might remember, after Bartimaeus, Jesus and the disciples have turned toward Jerusalem, which turning toward Jerusalem is shorthand for heading toward the cross. It is now going to get very serious very quickly. And as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem, he has already cleansed the temple in Mark. There's already been the triumphal entry. And now there's this section of basically combat. And Mark wants you to see it as kind of a spiritual combat underway. And so one after another, whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the temple itself, Jesus is wrestling. It is like a spiritual struggle. And you may know this, but the word jihad, which is used now often for terrorism, its original meaning is spiritual struggle. There's a sense that Jesus is in a jihad for spiritual truth, for Um, wrestling God's commandment down so that people understand it. So when you hear that word, understand that it's been co-opted in a particular way, but it really means spiritual struggle. And so this scribe comes up to Jesus, basically has been watching him, is impressed with him, and says to him, Master, which commandment is first of all? I don't know about you, but if you read the Gospels quite a bit, you're like, all right, what's coming? You know, there's some hidden motive here. There's, there's something where this uh, scribe is going to come after Jesus. But then Jesus responds utterly, predictably, simply, completely as Jews would have expected. Hear, O Israel, God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can just feel the listeners kind of like, that's it? We know that. We know that answer. Where's the battle going to come? And then, as if to make things worse, from an interest point of view, Mark has the scribe repeat exactly what Jesus said. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. So this passage does something interesting. In this kind of desert of confrontation, there is a moment of agreement. And what that does as a reader is it causes you to pay attention because something's different. There's there's not a battle here. They're actually aligned. And Mark's purpose is on purpose. He's basically saying what Jesus is trying to do is to reform the religion he's been given, not create a new one. This is the same covenant. It is the same commandment that God gave the people of Israel. What Jesus is doing is shaking us by the collar and saying, now do it, live it, practice it. And yet, 
now we have different religions, and that's something I think for Christians to take seriously is the sense that Jesus always intended to reform, not to create something new. Some of you know the book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, as a while back. But what's great about that book is it kind of brings you back to basics as life becomes complex, as life becomes exhausting. Sometimes you just need to remember what Miss Claren taught you in kindergarten. Things like pick up your toys when you're done, share with others, remember to take a nap. When you read those books, you can almost feel yourself taking a deep breath and remembering the essentials that we were given when we were young. That's what this passage is doing. It's saying, do you remember the basics? God is one. Love him with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Jewish listeners would have taken a deep breath and relaxed and said, yeah, that's what we're all about. So how does this apply at St. Michael? What might this mean? The problem with this passage in some ways is that it's generic. It's general. We can kind of hear it and say, well, yeah, that sounds great, but I have no idea what that means for my life. And so for a moment, I'd like you to think about what does that look like? If God is indeed one and there is no other, then what other gods are we following after? What idols are we worshiping? That has some traction. Or love God with your whole heart and mind and soul and being. Is there a way in which we are half-hearted, in which we are divided, in which we are splintered? We certainly know that we are as a people, but even within ourselves in this postmodern era, we are a refraction of things, and that's okay. But never lose sight of that unity, which is God, and that God requires our whole being in all of our complexity and all of our many roles. God is asking us to give our whole selves to him so that he can accomplish salvation on the earth. It's as important as that. Or the last part, love your neighbor as yourself, easier said than done. So I've been thinking, what could this look like at St. Michael? If we actually wrestled with this in real terms, what's something that we might do differently? And I thought about this practice we have now in COVID, which is a very good practice of offering worship virtually. We have increased the size of our congregation because it is not only you, it is we. There are people around the country and around the world watching our service. That is a win. That is good. That's expanding our reach. That's God working beyond what we can imagine. However, now COVID is getting better. People are vaccinated. And what do we do about this gap of people coming back to church? I'm very heartened. As I look out today, I am seeing more of you today than I have since the pandemic began, except for a funeral or two that I've been part of. You are coming back. You are beginning to say, it is safe. I can worship in person. And I actually suggest to you that that matters. That virtual experience is awesome for people who are immunocompromised, who live far away, who are traveling, who maybe want to check out St. Michael, but they're not sure they want to be seen yet, right? This virtual offering accomplishes something. But for others, and only you know the answer to this, it is time to come back. It is time to be with one another, to practice love with each other, to, in a sense, do this hard work of loving God with our whole heart and mind. 
And when we do that in person, when we do that as a gathered community, it feels differently than sitting in your living room with a cup of coffee. And I'm not telling you something you don't already know, those of you who are listening. I was at a party last night, and I had three conversations begin this way. I've just gotten spoiled. I just love being at home and being in my pajamas and watching church. It's so great. And then we go on and talk about whatever it is. Friends, you know this. You know what it means to bring your whole being to this project. So again, if you are at home for good reasons, please do not feel pressure to come back. For some of you, it is not safe. But for some of you, it be nice to see you again. <laughs> Deuteronomy got this. It understood that living this out was hard. And so it even gave specifics to the people. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Do you see what is happening here? It is not easy to walk the way of love. It will not happen automatically. We have to get into the practice. We have to do behaviors that will yield love. And showing up is one of those behaviors. So friends, there's a reason God came to us in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation. There are depths of love possible that are not possible when we are apart from one another. So do what seems right to you. We trust you but know that we are making a movement back in person and we want you to join us when you can. Listen again to the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It requires everything. It can be scary. It can be inconvenient. It can cost something. Believe me, Jesus understood that. But embracing the love of God with our whole being gives so much more than it takes. Ask yourself in this season of giving, how can I show up more fully? How can I give more generously? How can I serve more joyfully? Love is hard work, but it bears a harvest beyond what we understand. And if and when you get discouraged, remember what Jesus said to the scribe at the end of the lesson, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Trust it. Amen.